0: Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And without further ado, let's get on with the show. Um, WWE on Monday Night Raw, NXT, and SmackDown would open up with a tribute photo to a former WWE referee, Tim White. He was known as, but he was... Known for basically refereeing in WWE in the late 80s, but late 80s, 90s, and uh going into the early 2000s. But he was known for uh being Andre the Giant's handler backstage during Andre's uh days in the WWF whenever he was there to his dying days. Um, the Andre the Giant documentary came out, I believe, in 2020, and that really showed. How much Tim White basically was, how much he did for Andre and how much he actually was friends with Andre and all that type of stuff. So the wrestling industry lost Tim White. You had wrestlers from Drew McIntyre to Sheamus to MVP to a lot of guys um, putting out their tributes on Twitter and Instagram to Tim White. So uh, I want to just say um, recipes to Tim White and I uh, hope his family can find some uh, Solace with that. And also, uh late last week there was another referee that passed. It was the brother of Earl Hebner, David Hebner. Or Dave Hebner, sorry, not David, but Dave. Uh Dave Hebner passed last uh, week and at Slammiversary uh there was a special spot that Earl Hebner came out in the towards the end of the TNA originals going against uh Honor no more and At the end of that matchup, Earl Hebner came out because his son was refereeing the match, and Earl Hebner took over it. He refereed, gave the win to uh, the TNA Originals, and towards the end of the matchup, him and his son both pointed up to the air, and that was basically giving their tribute to uh, Dave Hebner. So again, rest in peace to Dave Hebner and also Tim White. Now, on to Raw. Raw will open up with a Bianca Belair in-ring promo. Bianca would announce that uh, her match at Money in the Bank would not be happening with Rhea Ripley because Rhea won't be medically cleared by that time, but Bianca does let everybody know that there will be a Fatal 5-Way matchup to announce who's going to be facing Bianca at Money in the Bank. It will be Liv Morgan, Asuka, Becky, Alexa Bliss, and Carmella participating. Becky will come out and tell Bianca that she doesn't know why she even has to compete in this match because she shouldn't have to. She mentioned that her and Bianca had the best WrestleMania women's matchup of all time. And at Hell in a Cell, she had the match won, but Bianca snuck in and stole the victory from her. Asuka would come out and start making baby noises and ask Becky, are you crying again like a baby? Becky would then throw a jab at Oscar, saying that the last two times they were in the ring together, Oscar's shoulders were on the mat, and Becky won both of those occasions. Then Liv Morgan would come out, then Carmella, then Alexa. They will all run their mouth, but Bianca would end all that and say, why don't you all get your match started, and let's see what happens. So that's what happens. The Fatal 5-Way matchup for the normal Contenders match happens right now, and Carmella would win the match. When um, Alexa Bliss was on the top turnbuckle and go for the Twisted Bliss on Liv, Liv will put her knees up, and Alexa will land on Liv's knees. Alexa then would roll out of the ring, and once Liv got to her feet, Carmella would get in the ring and hit Liv with a super kick. Then cover live for the win. So we are now going to get Carmella going against Bianca Belair at Money in the Bank. And people are already starting to speculate that we probably won't even get that matchup because not a lot of people are going to be looking forward to Bianca going against Carmella. And people are hoping that they pull another uh, move like they did on Carmella last year at SummerSlam when Carmella was the short term replacement for Sasha Banks at SummerSlam when uh, Sasha was supposed to go against. Bianca at Summerslam, but it ended up turning out to be Bianca to throw—not Bianca, but uh, Becky Lynch—to throw uh, Carmella out of that matchup. People were hoping that this year it will be the returning Bailey to come back and go against Bianca at Money in the Bank, the exact matchup we were supposed to get at Money in the Bank, if I'm not mistaken, last year. But we didn't get that, so that's what people were hoping for. And I even had that thought when I when I saw that Carmella was going to go against Bianca, and I thought, okay, we might get the Becky. Not Becky, but uh, Bailey returning back at Money in the Bank and pulling a Becky on Carmella, but we'll see when all that happens. Um, after the match, you would see Becky go to the back and start uh complaining to Adam Pearce, saying that it was supposed to be her versus Oscar tonight to see who be in the Money in the Bank, and she says she would have done that match, but you put me in this Fatal Five Way. Adam Pearce said, you would have done that match. She says yeah. So Adam Pearce decides to make the match official. It Be Oscar going against Becky Lynch. Uh, later in the night and the winner will be going into the Money in the Bank uh, matchup. After this, we will get Mr. McMahon coming down to the ring and he mentions that this is uh, Raw's 1,517th episode, I presume, and that Raw is the longest episodic TV show in history and that next week uh, John Cena will be back on Monday Night Raw. And that's it. Again, I don't know what people expected. Mr. McMahon was not going to say nothing about the Situation he's in in his personal life, he's not going to come out here and do that. Uh, remember, he still owns the company, so I don't know what you guys expected out of that. After this, we had a Money in the Bank qualifying matchup of Riddle going against Omas with MVP in his corner, but before that match happened, you had Riddle out here, uh, talking about how he let the fans down and he let Randy down by losing to Roman on SmackDown, and that he plans on winning his qualifying matchup because he doesn't want to see. If, People like Seth Rollins, who he calls trash because of what he did to Cody, go to Money in the Bank and win the contract. So we get Omas coming out, and now they get their matchup. Omas would win the match by pinfall when Riddle would try to hit an RKO on Omas, but Omas would catch him and hit a double handed choke slam for the win. After the match, MVP would tell Omas to do it again, and Omas does it again, give Riddle another double uh, hand choke slam. And then you see Omos and MVP leave, and then out walks Seth Rollins, the menace that he is. He comes out in a white but, like, pink, spotted-out suit. He comes down to the ring, he gets in Riddle's face, and he forearms him, and then he throws Riddle out of the ring. Rollins would then get a mic and start calling Riddle the ultimate loser, and then you see Rollins mention how Riddle lost his buddy Randy and how he lost to Roman, and now that he's lost to Omos and he's not going to be inside the uh, Money in the Bank. Rollins then would turn his attention to the Money in the Bank briefcase and mentioned that no one in that matchup can handle Roman like he has. He recalls what he did to Roman at Rus- uh, not WrestleMania, but at the Royal Rumble, and also what he did to Roman at WrestleMania, but years ago when he cashed in on Roman at uh, WrestleMania when he went against Brock. And he mentions that if you think that his last cash was something, you haven't seen nothing yet because he plans on outdoing this. Riddle would then slide back into the ring, hit Rollins from behind, but then Rollins would then kick Riddle in the gut and hit him with a curb stomp, then leave. So this is giving Rollins some momentum going into the Money in the Bank matchup in a couple weeks. After this, we would get Theory coming out for an in ring promo. Theory is now standing in the middle of the ring, standing on a podium. Theory talks about being the youngest United States champion in WWE history and that last week he displayed his physique to the world and he truly is on another level at his age. He mentions how next week is the 20-year Cena celebration, but Cena's time's up and Theory's time is now. Theory will talk about how last week with the pose down and mention that he didn't get to show off his immaculate poses. So then we would get Theory begin to pose and unbeknownst to him, Bobby Lashley would get in the ring behind him, and Theory would pose some more. Fans would start cheering. Theory thinks he's the man because the fans are cheering, but the fans start cheering for Bobby. So Theory doesn't pay them no mind. He picks up his phone, picks up the United States Championship to take a selfie, and he sees that Bobby Lashley's behind him, and he photobombed it. Theory would turn around, and Lashley would spray Theory in the face with baby oil, the exact same way that Theory did him last week, and Lashley would hit him with a spear. Theory would get out of the ring, and he doesn't have his United States Championship, but Bobby would pick up the United States title, hold it in the air, and he tells Theory that the U.S. Championship is going to be his. And it was announced later that Lashley will be facing three guys in a gauntlet match, and if he wins, he will be facing Theory at Money in the Bank for the United States Championship. So we have that match to go on later on Monday Night Raw. Out of this segment, we would get a one-on-one competition between Jay Uso, who had Jimmy in his corner, going against Angelo Dawkins, who had Montez Ford in his corner. Dawkins would win the match by pinfall when Jay would jump off the top turnbuckle for Uso splash on Dawkins, but Dawkins would catch Jay and hit a sky high for the win. It's basically a high elevated uh spine buster, the same one that D'Lo Brown is popularized for doing. And Angelo Dawkins would beat Jay Uso by that. So this gives Street Profits going uh, into Money in the Bank with some momentum going against the Usos for the undisputed, well, tag team titles. Now we get the <laughs> segment that everybody was waiting for to see how WWE is going to pull this off. It was Elias. It was Elias having an in-ring concert. And for those that don't understand is that Dead, WWE has been doing the storyline that Ezekiel is not Elias. Kevin Owens is coming out saying that Ezekiel is Elias. And this week we got a funny uh, backstage video sh- playing on the screen. It was Elias and Ezekiel literally meeting each other and they were talking to each other. Oh yeah, Elias and Ezekiel are supposed to be brothers here. And they were talking to each other. And the segment reminded me of Do Love, Mankind, and Cat Jack literally talking to each other. If you don't remember, it was uh, Triple H was supposed to go against a, I believe, Mankind. And then on the screen, you saw Mankind talking to Do Love. And then they talked to each other, talking about how another incarnation of Foley's characters was going to debut that night. And it was Cat Jack, the most feared one. You can look on YouTube. So that reminded me of this situation where Elias was talking to Ezekiel here. So we go to the ring. Elias is in the middle of the ring. He talks about how he's happy to be here and all this type of stuff. And you see that Elias is about to play a song, but Kevin Owens comes out to play spoiler. He calls Elias a liar and that Ezekiel and Elias are the same people. Kevin Owens mentioned that I've seen a lot of things in my life, and that's special effects. I've seen Hollywood can do a lot of things with special effects. He mentioned how he saw a Dinosaur, uh driving, not driving, but uh, flying a helicopter. I believe that's probably from one of the Jurassic Park movies. And uh, you then see Ezekiel pop up on the screen and tell Kevin Owens that the proof's in your face. That's Elias and I'm Ezekiel. So Elias will then play a song to try to calm Kevin Owens' nerves. Elias is back for one night. Big Zeke likes to bring the fight. Zeke freaks have been on fire because they know K.O. is a liar. So now with Kevin Owens being called a liar by Elias and the crowd, Kevin Owens would get in the ring, grab Elias' guitar, throw it out of the ring. Elias wouldn't take too kindly to this and hit Kevin Owens with a jumping knee to the face and then grab another guitarist in the ring and crack Kevin Owens behind the head with that guitar. Kevin Owens will leave out of the ring and then walk to the back and he's starting to hold his head and the interview will be waiting for Kevin Owens as soon as he gets to the back. Kevin Owens would get asked, does Kevin Owens now believe that Ezekiel and Elias are two different people? Kevin Owens says that he doesn't believe and that he is tired of this crap and throws out the face either Elias, Ezekiel or their younger brother that he decided just to create a name Elrod. He said it doesn't matter who it is. He just wants to face somebody next week. Ezekiel will walk up to Kevin Owens and say that he accepts the challenge. And this will make Kevin Owens more red because he just got hit and hit by Elias in the ring. And somehow Ezekiel's right there. So Kevin Owens becomes more frustrated by this. After this, we get to the gauntlet matchup of Bobby Lashley going against the three mystery competitors. They will turn out to be Chad Gable, who Bobby beats when he taps him out, when he applies to Hurt Lock on him. Otis and Otis would get disqualified, so that means Bobby will not. When Chad Gable will get in the ring and attack Bobby Lashley after Lashley hit Otis with a spear, and then you see the, uh, Alpha Academy put the beat down on Bobby, and then the third mystery opponent will be Theory himself, and Lashley would beat Theory when Theory would be going to hit Bobby with the ATL, but Lashley would get Theory inside the inside cradle for the win. So, Lashley will get to face Theory at Money in the Bank for the United States Championship. After this, we will have Miz TV with AJ Styles. Miz talks about all of AJ's shortcomings recently, starting with him facing off with Edge, attacking him, leading into the formation of Judgment Day. Finn leaving AJ's side to join Judgment Day to AJ failing to make it into the Money in the Bank Matchup last week when he lost to Seth Rollins, and how his former tag partner Omos actually made it into the Money in the Bank ladder match. Miz would then call AJ a failure. AJ will fire back by saying Miz has popcorn balls. You know what? They are really fascinated with the Miz's uh, genitalia because uh, for the past, what, two weeks, there's been somebody commenting about Miz's balls. I don't get it, but I. Um, Miz would get mad at that and start losing it. Miz starts mentioning all his accolades, saying he's a two-time WWE champion, a two-time Grand Slam champion, a uh, two-time Money in the Bank winner, and asks AJ, what's it like to be a failure? AJ would say, yeah, things lately hasn't been going this way. But that's how he got the nickname Phenomenal, by going through adversity and not dwelling in it by-bye, Taking on the challenges of him, he mentions that he doesn't whine and complain. He just comes out here and does this. And AJ would punch Miz directly in the face and drop in Miz. Champa will pop out of nowhere and attack AJ from behind, and this will lead to AJ Styles going against Champa in the next matchup. Miz will be on commentary for this match, and AJ would win the match by pinfall when he hits Champa with a phenomenal forearm for the win. And after the match, Miz will leave the commentary table to try to attack AJ from behind, but AJ would duck the hit, and decide to hit Miz with a Pele kick, then followed up with a Styles Clash. I don't understand one thing. Ciampa has been on Raw for, what, a month, a month and a half, maybe, from time to time, and he hasn't said one thing. He only pops out and attacks good guys from behind. He's did this to uh, Mustafa Ali. He did this to Riddle. Now he's doing this to AJ Here's a thing that I'll get the WWE right now. If, no, not if. Put Ciampa inside Judgment Day. It's a simple fix because you want to know why? Rhea Ripley's out for right now. And right now you have nothing for Judgment Day at all. You can put Champa in there and have him rebuild up his stock. Stock that he should have uh, had credibility whenever he came up to the main roster when he left NXT. That's what you guys should have done with Champa. Start building his stock. But ever since he's been on the main roster, he's always just seemed like an afterthought. You can give Champa something because he is a great talker and he actually does work good in the ring. So put Ciampa with Judgment Day right now since Rhea is gone. And once Rhea comes back, you'll have a four-person stable. It's not that hard to do. Anyway, now to the main event. The Women's Money in the Bank Qualified Matchup between Becky Lynch and Asuka. Asuka will win the match by pinfall when Becky and Asuka would trade uh, positions and pinfalls to try to see who would get the upper hand on each other, but it will be Asuka who is Becky with a roundhouse kick to the head, and that will be it when she pins Becky. So Asuka is now inside the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match. After the match, Becky would be on the outside of the ring near the commentary table and start losing it. She would take the top off the commentary table and start throwing the commentary stuff around. Their water bottles, the monitors, their papers, pencils, whatever the case may be. is all on that table. Becky would then look up at the Money in the Bank briefcases that were hanging above the ring and just start kneeling at ringside looking depressed. So right now we're on the story of how is Becky going to get inside the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match. And we'll have to see what will happen next week on Monday Night Raw. But that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now on to NXT. First match of the night was Solo Sakoyo going against Grayson Waller. Grayson Waller would win that matchup by pinfall when Grayson was next to the corner and Solo ran towards him and Grayson would move out of the way and Solo's back would hit the exposed steel turnbuckle that Grayson Waller exposed earlier in the match. And this would allow Grayson to hit Solo with his rolling stunner for the win. It was a cool match between Solo and Grayson. Uh, I have an idea what they could do with Solo, but I'm gonna wait a couple more weeks to see what they do with them, and if we're gonna head down a certain path that I think we should be heading. Um, after this, we get Kaden Carter and Katana Chance going against Yalissa Leon and Valentina Flores. Kaden and Katana would win their match by pinfall when they hit their tag finisher, which is a neckbreaker 450 combo on Flores for the win. Solid tag matchup here. This would not be the last time that we would see Kaden Carter and Katana Chance at all uh, in the night. After this, we would get Wesley coming out for an in promo. We see Wes come out here, and the crowd is chanting for Wes, and he appreciated it. And he's out here because he says that he needed to talk to the people. Wes mentioned that the last three months has been troubling for him from becoming a two-time NXT tag champion with his best friend. To having his world crumble beneath them, and he's kind of giving little, uh, and he's giving the subtle nod to the people that know the know because his friend uh, Nash Carter, Zachary Wentz, he got fired from NXT because of uh, a photo came out of uh, him in a uh, old photo of him coming out in a uh, Hitler style square mustache, him doing the Hitler sign up and. Um, WWE fired him for that, um, and that's whenever him and Wes just won the NXT tag title, so that was un- unexpected Of that was unexpected for that to happen, so Wes is kind of giving a nod to that and how now he's here by himself, and the fans are chanting supportive things to Wes, and Wes says that he appreciates those chants. And Wes mentions that he hasn't been himself, and now he's finally starting to get back to himself where he needs to be. And he thanks the fans for all their support, their positivity, all that stuff. Trick will come out here. Trick Williams would come out here and start telling Wes to shut up with his problems. Trick tells Wes that maybe he isn't that great of a friend that he thinks he is. Trick will continue to poke at Wes to the point that Wes decides to poke back at Trick, calling Trick a second banana to his boy Carmelo and wonders if Trick can back up what he is saying. So Trick lets Wes know that when he decides to wrestle Wes, it will be on his time. And until then, he's going to do it, what West friends has done to him, and that's to leave him. And this will get Wes upset. So it looks like we're going into the direction of Wesley going down the line to the North American Championship. Going against Carmelo and Trick Williams, that's where we're headed down right here. And I'm cool with it because, again, I think I said it last week that Wesley is a perfect candidate because right now they have nothing to do for Wes. And at this moment, they kind of got nothing to do. They got nothing for Carmelo technically after he gets done with Tony because think about it. I don't see nobody else going after him. I think people are tired of seeing to Cole kind of get in the spot with him So Wesley going against uh, Carmelo will be a refresher thing for the North American Championship Division. It'll kind of put more life into that division. After this, we get a tag title matchup. Diamond Minds Damian Kemp, and Roderick Strong going against Cruz Del Toro and Joaquin Wilde, who had two dimes and stacks on their uh, outside watching the matchup. Roderick and Damien would win the match by pinfall and from assist from two dimes when he trips up Del Toro by using a crowbar when he thinks he actually troops up Strong because he doesn't look when he does this. He tries to do this uh sneakily, but he accidentally grabs uh Cruz. So this would allow Strong to hit Cruz with a jumping knee to the face and then cover him for the win. So this already gives uh Legato a bad taste in her mouth with. Tony D'Angelo's family. But that doesn't end. You got to wait until the main event uh, later. After this, we get toxic attraction, having an in-ring promo. You get all three ladies out there. They're all still with their championship gold. And Mandy's out here to discredit Roxanne Perez, Cora Jade, and Indy Harwell from their win last week. She calls them losers and said that Roxanne isn't going to be cashing in her breakout uh, reward or her breakout uh, contract on her because... If she does, she isn't going to walk out with the NXT Women's Championship. Roxanne and Cora Jade will come out. And Roxanne says that she will love to cash in for the Women's Championship. But she's going to be sharing her rewards with her friend Cora. And that they decided that they're going to be focusing on the women's tag team titles. So then you get Kaden Carter and Katana Chance coming out. And they will start hating on Roxanne and Cora. You have Caden. Tell both of the ladies that the tag team titles line starts behind them because they're not finished going after the tag team titles. Then you see a Cora come chiming in and saying that we saw you guys lose that in your house and you guys look like you're done. Katana then will chime in and call Roxanne a flavor of the month. Cora will mention how she's been here for a year and how Roxanne just got here and Kaden Carter and Katana are both done. Kaden. And Katana would attack Roxanne and Cora. And now you get all four ladies going to blows and brawling on the entrance stage. And then you see referees come up from the back to separate all four of these ladies. And you would get later tonight an announcement that next week there will be a number one contenders matchup between both of the teams. And the winners will face toxic attraction for the tag titles at the Great American Bash. My whole problem with this is that Roxanne Perez won the breakout tournament. And her award was, her reward was, if I may, was that she has a contract that she can challenge for any championship on NXT brand, or probably any championship. They just specified that she can challenge for a championship and at any time. That's the exact same way that they preference this. So for her to go after the tag titles, why is she in the number one contenders matchup? It just doesn't make sense to me story-wise, because she could easily just cash in at any time with her and core And then take the tag times off her. For them to be in the number one contenders matchup. It just doesn't make sense. They need to kind of rethink this. Or if anything have them lose. And then have them cash in some way somehow. But anyway that would be my way of how I would fix this. Anyway. After this we would get Cameron Grimes. Going against Idris Inafe. Who had Malik Blade in his corner. Cameron would win the match by pinfall. And Grimes would hit Inafe with the cave in for the win. This was a match between two guys that are just trying to be serious. They were both fun guys, but right now, Cameron Grimes is at a time in his career that he's trying to be more serious as he's going after Braun Breaker's NXT Championship at the Great American Bash, and Cameron Grimes kind of poked at Idris and Malik Blade last week by calling them, uh, saying telling them that they have everything in the tools to be the top guys here, but they want to just go out and party and all that type of stuff, not pay attention to their craft, so this was the match that led up to it. And Anafe showed what he can to Grimes. He put on a good match with Grimes. They had a good match, but Grimes still won. After the match, Grimes would give Dap to Idris and Malik, and he told them, that's the type of fire I want to see from you two, and then he leaves out. So I can see in the future Cameron Grimes with Idris and Malik and those three guys being like the three guys that are hungry to run NXT. After this, we would get a matchup between Vaughn Wagner going against Brooks Jensen. Vaughn will win the match by pinfall when he hits Brooks with the Death Valley Driver for the win. Uh, no more to be said for this. After this, we had Alba Fire going against Lash Legend. Alba will win the match by disqualification when Alba will hit Lash with the gory bomb, then go up to the top turnbuckle looking for to hit the swanton, but jumps off when Lash would roll out of the way. Alba would land on her feet and then walk towards Lash. Lash would hit Alba in the throat with Alba's own baseball bat, and the referee would call for the bell. So, this tells me that Alba Fire, Lash Legends' whole situation that they got between each other isn't going to be done no time soon. After this, it's time for the main event on NXT, the NXT North American Championship matchup. Carmelo Hayes, who had Trick Williams in this corner, going against Tony D'Angelo, who had Legato del Fantasma and two dimes and stacks in this corner. Carmelo would win the match by pinfall thanks to an assist from Santos Escobar. Stax would get on the ring apron, and Tony would tell Santos to pass him the brass knuckles. Santos would taunt Tony before sliding the knuckles over to Carmelo, and then you see Carmelo hit Tony in the face with the knuckles to win the matchup. So, this shows you that Tony is going to make Santos and his group pay, because he tells them, you guys got hell to pay for this, so... Here's my dilemma with this. Again, as I told you guys last week, and if you didn't listen to last week's thing, here's the deal. Uh, Two Dimes, he got released from NXT last week because he broke uh, WWE policy. And he's now gone from the company. Tony D'Angelo, he got injured at a live event uh, last week. And now, this episode was taped two weeks ago. So with Two Dimes being gone... Antonio D'Angelo being injured. I don't know where this leaves NXT with this storyline of the D'Angelo family going against of that Fantasma. I don't know if we're going to get... Uh, I don't know what we're going to do personally. I don't know. I said last week that they should call back up uh, Troy Donovan two times. They should call him back up and say, Ayo, we overreacted. We're just going to suspend you for 30 days. Like they used to do with some of the guys when they broke the WWE policy. I don't know what they're going to do personally. I'm interested to see, because, well, this is, this is for me a first time in a long time that creative has a story and it gets screwed up massively. I just want to see how they're going to fix it, me personally. But anyway, we'll have to see next week on NXT. But that is your NXT uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for AEW. This is AEW Dynamite's last episode. This is their go-home show for their Forbidden Door event this coming Sunday, which is basically tomorrow. Uh... Key notes to note on the show is that during the show, they would announce that there will be an eight man tag at Forbidden Door. The Young Bucks teaming up with El Fantasmo and Hikaleo of Bullet Club to go against Sting, Darby Allen, Hiromo Takahashi, and Shingo, both members of uh, Los Ingonales de Hopone. So it will be an eight man tag. Uh, that's a good thing. So you got two more representatives of New Japan at the Forbidden Door event, and that would not end. There'll be more New Japan uh, wrestlers showing up on Dynamite. Now, let me get into it. Uh, the first thing to open up Dynamite with is Brian Danielson coming out, and we're out here to see if Brian Danielson will discuss, is he going to be at Forbidden Door? Is he going to be at Blood and Guts? Uh, Brian notes that um, Chris Jericho paid Zack Sabre Jr. to challenge Brian Danielson to a match at Forbidden Door. However, he will not be able to compete at Forbidden Door and Blood and Guts because of what Chris Jericho and Jake Hager did to him at Double or Nothing. He does note that he is okay, but he just isn't medically cleared to wrestle both of those uh, events. He does mention that he'll be back soon and that he did find a replacement for Forbidden Door and Blood and Guts, but we won't find out tonight. We'll have to find out at Forbidden Door. Brian Danielson gives everybody a cheeky little response by saying, you guys saw me come out of the bad guy tunnel. You guys know I'm not gonna tell you until Forbidden Door. So the fans start booing him there. And I'm glad that Brian Danielson even noticed that. He let the fans know that, hey, I'm a bad guy. You guys gotta boo me. That's kind of the deal. It's kinda make my job to make you guys boo me. I can't give you everything what you want. So I'm glad that he did say that. Um Zack Saber Jr. will come out on the stage and just stare at Brian. So we know we're gonna get Brian Danielson going against Zack Saber Jr. later, like probably, like, later this year, or probably even at uh, Russell Kingdom, if they, New Japan and AEW were smart enough for that, that's my best ticket for them, but, uh, the mystery is who is going to be taking Brian Danielson's spot at Forbidden Door and Blood and Guts, I have my, uh, ideas, because Brian did mention that it's somebody he trusts, and also, this new guy will be entering, also, the, um, Blackpool Combat Club, so this member is going to be a guy that's going to be sticking on the AEW roster. Uh, I'll get to that whenever uh, I'll give you my forbidden door predictions at the end of the show. After this, we get a six-man tag, Orange Cassidy and Rapunkey Vice, which is Trent Beretta and Rocky Romero, going against the United Empires' Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open. Orange Cassidy will win the match for his team by pinfall when Orange hits the orange punch, which is a Superman punch on Kyle Fletcher of Ozzy Open. Cover him for the pin. It was a good six-man Matchup to open up the show, uh, you got to see Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy wrestle a little bit. Because remember, they're supposed to be wrestling at the Forbidden Door event for the IWGP United States Championship. Uh, Will Ospreay, again, is starting to show people what he can do on the national uh, stage in America. People in Japan already know what he can do. People in England knows what he can do. But in America, on the national stage, not a lot of people do. Osprey right here. I'm glad he's able to showcase himself, but I think you're going to get a good representation of who Will Osprey is whenever he goes against Orange Cassidy at Forbidden Door. After the match, you will see Jeff Cobb and Great O'Khan walk down to the ring to join the rest of the United Empire, and they'll be standing on the ring apron looking at Orange Cassidy and Rapunky Vice, and it looks like they got them cornered until FTR comes out to even the odds, and then you see the United Empire... Uh, drop down off the ring apron and start retreating. Because remember, FTR, Rapungy Vice, and Great and Jeff Cobb will be all in a triple threat matchup at Forbidden Door for the Ring of Honor tag titles and the uh, New Japan IWGP tag team titles. So again, that match should be great as well. After this, we had Christian Cage coming out for an in-ring interview. Uh, Christian comes out here to explain why he did the Jungle Boy, what he did last week. And let me just say this to you right now. If you... highly and i mean this highly recommend going to aew's youtube page and listening to christian cage explain his whole explanation christian cage cooked that night i mean my man was talking his talking christian is a great bad guy his whole career whenever he was a good guy it was cool and all but he does his excellent work when he's a bad guy and being the arrogant prick that christian is he basically explained that he still holds a grudge from when Jungle Boy eliminated him out of the Casino Battle Royale last year at Double or Nothing. And he also blames the fans for cheering the way that they did when he got eliminated last year. So he held on that grudge and he talked about how he saw Jungle Boy as the future and he knows that. So he decided to hitch his wagon onto that gravy train and he thought that train was going to last a long time. And he was just going to collect money and easily just cash it in and that's it. He let everybody know, yeah, remember me talking to you guys saying that, hey, I'm going to be putting over the talent and all that kind of crap? No, that's a lie. That was dumb BS. I'm here to collect money. That's all it is. And he kind of stared down the camera and he kind of made mention to what MJF was talking about almost a month ago. And he said, you guys that complain about money and you guys complain about how I'm getting the big bucks, let me tell you how I got the big bucks. Here's some free advice for you. You guys make a match and do a match that has people talking for longer than a week. The type of match that has grandkids and their grandparents sitting down to watch that match religiously over and over again. That good. The type of match that has pay-per-views named after them. So he's talking about TLC, him, Christian, Hardy Boys, Doug Lees, and all that type of styles. Christian was a part of that, so Christian takes responsibility for that. Christian is letting everybody know that's how you get the big bucks here. But until then, take my crumbs and enjoy them. Christian went off on this thing. But the thing I didn't like about Christian's whole situation, whenever he got to uh, Jungle Boy's mom and his sister, he talks about after uh, Dynamite got off air national TBS on Fight TV's app, you were able to see Christian trash talk. Jungle Boy's mom and his sister, they flipping him off and he, Uh, Told Jungle Boy's mother that you raised a piece of crap but he said the actual word and he responded that you know what Uh, Jungle Boy's mother kind of saw me as a guy that she probably wanted to hook up with she was kind of a little bit smitten on Christian Cage here but then Christian has to kill all that noise by saying yo listen I'm not trying to be a father figure as a matter of fact Jungle Boy you had a father figure and here's the thing I know Jungle Boy like a father figure he sure did but here's the thing jungle boy i never wanted to be your father i never wanted to be your father figure you have a father but your father's dead and that's probably a good thing jungle boy because he would be embarrassed and ashamed to see how you turned out he'd be embarrassed and ashamed to see you crumpled up like a ball at my feet refusing to get up and fight back now for the people that don't know jungle boy's father was the actor luke perry um, the nine zero two one zero guy, the one that was on uh the remake of Riverdale. I mean, I didn't know much about Luke Perry. I had to do my research, but I was like, okay, he was a well-known actor. So, uh, Jungle Boy's father was Luke Perry, and Jungle Boy talked about how much his father was a wrestling fan as well. He couldn't. He was happy that his son got into wrestling. He would be at his wrestling shows, like in the balcony and you know, all that type of stuff. So. When Christian mentioned that, I immediately looked at the television and I said, okay, this is the point where Jungle Boy's supposed to run down there. Jungle Boy doesn't ever run down here. As a matter of fact, Luchasaurus comes down and he gets in the ring and you hear Christian try to uh, tell Luchasaurus, hey, yo, I try to talk to you. I need to speak to you in private. I want to speak to you. And then Jungle Boy is still not around. Luchasaurus just grabs Christian by the throat and starts choking him right in the corner. And Christian, he tries to say everything, but then he hits jo- uh, Luchasaurus with, Remember what happened to Marco Stunt. And Luchasaurus just looked at Christian with a confused face. He applied more choke pressure, but then Christian says, listen, I see you as my son. I am father to you. And then Luchasaurus starts letting go of the choke. And Christian says, hey, listen, I want to speak to you backstage, not in front of these idiots. I want to speak to you in the back. And he gives Luchasaurus a hug. And Luchasaurus is still confused by this. And you see Christian and Luchasaurus leave out of the ring. But Luchasaurus starts leaving first. And Christian looks at the camera and gives a little crap uh, smug look of a smile on his face. And he just starts following Luchasaurus to the back. So this more than likely is going to mean that Christian and Luchasaurus is going to be a thing. He's going to manipulate Luchasaurus in a way that Luchasaurus turns his back on Jungle Boy. That's what I think this is all leading up to. If that's the case, uh, that's cool because Jungle Boy needs to be on his own. I'm cool is I think it's time for Jungle Boy to be on his own and Luchasaurus to be on his own. Let these two guys do what they uh, do and then they reunite as a tag team later down in their career. But right now, I think it's the perfect time to split these two up. Uh, after this, we had an All-Atlantic Championship qualifying matchup. Malachi Black versus Penta Oscaro, who had Alex Aberhantez in his corner. Malachi Black would win the match by pinfall when Malachi would hit the spinning heel kick on Penta, then cover him for the win. Pack would then run down to the ring, stand in front of the body of Penta, and just stare at Malachi. And then a video of Miro would play on the uh, screen, and basically Miro was saying that after Bendor, he will redeem Pack, Malachi, and Tomohiro Ishii, because those are the four men that will be competing after Bendor in a Fatal four-way match for the All-Atlantic Championship. After this, we had a matchup of Heyman Page going against a debuting Silas Young. I don't think he's signed to... AEW, I think he just got called in for this one match. But this was a good match between Hangman and Silas. Uh, Hangman was letting Silas get his stuff in, but in the end, uh, Hangman Page would win the match by pinfall when he hits the Shot glariot on uh, Silas Young for the win. After the match, and I mean immediately after the match, Adam Cole will leave the commentary table and start cutting uh, Hangman's music off and says, who wants to hear story time from Adam Cole, baby? And as soon as he's about to talk, Jay White comes out. Jay White is out here, and he lets Adam know that Forbidden Door, he can't face Adam Cole because Cole lost to Hangman twice, and then Jay White decides to walk towards the ring and lets Hangman know that he won't be defending the title against him either. Hangman smacks the mic out of Jay's hand, and then you start seeing these two throw hands as you're supposed to. Adam Cole runs down to the ring to help out Jay White. So now you get a two-on-one beat down. You see Adam Cole hold the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. And he gets himself in a position that he's just ready to hit Jay White with it. Because it looks like he's about to hit Jay White. Because Jay White at this moment is like pounding on Hangman. I mean just mounting him with punches. And Adam Cole's just holding the belt. Just stalking both of them as he's waiting for them to get up. So he can hit him. Jay White gets up, he turns around, he looks at Adam pa- Adam Cole in the face. And Cole tells him, I need you to pick up Hangman so I can hit him in the face with it. Jay White is still hesitant on this. He tells him, pick him up. Jay reluctantly, he picks up Hangman. And before Cole can even hit Adam Page with it, Okada's music would hit. The fans would lose their mind. And Kazusuka Okada, New Japan's, uh, I'll say this is New Japan's uh, number one guy. This is their face of the company. Okada is their guy. Okada comes down to the ring. He makes a save for Hangman. You see both of them beat up on Cole and Jay White to the point that Adam Cole and Jay White would have to leave out of the ring and retreat. And then it was announced that at Forbidden Door, it'll be the Fatal 4-Way matchup for the IWGP World Championship. Jay White going against Adam Cole, Adam Page, and Kazuska Okada. Uh, again, I feel that one's going to be a good match as well. Forbidden door is shaping up pretty nicely. Uh, after this, we have Marina Shafir with Nyla Rose going against Tony Storm. Tony Storm would win the match by pinfall when Marina Shafir was going for a pump handle slam, but Tony would reverse out of it and grab Marina for a roll up pinner, win the match. After the match, Nyla Rose would get in the ring and attack Tony Storm until Thunder Rosa comes down to make the save. You see uh, Tony and Thunder beat up on Marina, Marina uh, rolls out of the ring. You see them beat up on Nyla to the point that Tony Storm grabs the women's championship, hit Nyla Rose in the face. Nyla Rose roll out of the ring, leaving Tony Storm and Thunder Rosa in the ring. Again, this is Tony Storm second time holding that women's championship and Thunder Rosa just looking at Tony Storm this time. And again, Tony gives the belt back to Thunder. So again, this is setting up for their match at Forbidden Door. This is setting up for them to have a good match, but it also might be setting up for Tony Storm to try to do something drastic to advance her career at Forbidden Door to become the Women's Champion. I don't know what's going to happen with that one, but that just seemed really interesting to me once I saw that. Uh, main event time. Tag team matchup. Chris Jericho, who had Sammy Guevara and Ty Conte in this corner, as well with his partner Lance Archer, went against John Moxley and... Hiroshi Tanahashi, the main event for The Forbidden Door. Moxley and Tanahashi would win the match by pinfall when Moxley would hit the Paradigm Shift on Archer, then tag in Tanahashi so he could hit the high-five flow, which is a frog splash on Archer, cover him for the win. Solid tag match. I couldn't really get into it that much. It wasn't for me, but it was solid. After the match, this is whenever things started getting chaotic. Uh, Moxley and Tanahashi would stare down in the middle of the ring. they had have their stare down. Then you see Eddie Kingston run down to the ring, start attacking Chris Jericho. Sammy would try to help Chris out, but Wheeler Yuta would run down to the ring and attack Sammy Guevara. Then you start seeing Minoru Suzuki walk down to the ring. And then you start seeing Shoto Umino come down. Then you see all the members of Jericho Appreciation Society come out. Then you saw Ortiz and Santana all come down to the ring, and it was nothing but bedlam and chaos all around the ring. All the while, Moxley and Tanahashi were just still standing in the middle of the ring staring at each other, and that's how Dynamite goes off with chaos around the ring with the main event for Forbidden Door just staring down with one another. I'm cool with that. They made up for a lot of things missing pre-time, like pre-dating this show for Forbidden Door because there was a lot of people online talking about uh, Okada not being on the show, uh, members of Lij not being on the show. A lot of Japanese talent not being on the show for Forbidden Door. So this episode of Dynamite, the last episode, really made up for it. I just wish that they did some actual build up into the Forbidden Door event instead of just like, okay, last minute, uh, two, two or three weeks. Okay, now we start building it up. No, with a big mega event like this, you have to build this up literally for about a good uh, a month and a half. You have some of the top talent from New Japan coming out to your show and you just start really building it in. I understand you had Double or Nothing to build up for. But even at that Double or Nothing event, you still could have in like put in New Japan stars to start hyping up your Forbidden Door event. That's at least what I would have done. But again, it's owned by Tony Khan and he does what he wants to do. But I'm just saying, as a fan's perspective watching the show, you probably want to put those measures in for the next time you have a big showcase the way you guys are going to have to do at Forbidden Door. I don't doubt it's gonna not going to be a great show. It's going to be one. But I just wish that the build-up for it was better than what we got. But um, again, AEW Dynamite, go-home show, good show. Uh, but that's your Dynamite Wrestling Highlights for the week. Now time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling had anniversary this week. And I'm going to read you off of their pay-per-view results. Uh, Mike Bailey is your new X-Division champion. He won the Ultimate X match. Um... Rosemary and Ty Valkyrie did defeat the influence Madison Rayne and Tenille Dashwood to become your new Impact Knockouts World Tag Team Champions. Uh, Sammy Callahan defeated Moose by pinfall in the Monsters Ball. The Good Brothers are your new Impact World Tag Team Champions when they defeated the Briscoe Brothers. And after the match, you saw the Briscoes and the Good Brothers standing in the middle of the ring. And then America's Most Wanted came out. That is James Storm and Wildcat Chris Harris. They were a tag team. They were really influential And TNA or Impact Wrestling's um, growth in the tag team division Whenever they first uh, was formed in 2002 And they stayed a tag team I believe until 2006 So they were a team for a good four years And the TNA tag team division was basically built around that tag team So they were basically again an essential foundational block For the tag team division of Impact Wrestling um, they would come out there, they would hand the Briscoes and the Good Brothers a beer, and they would cheer with them in the middle of the ring. Chris Harris did not have a beer, he had a water. But nevertheless, they all cheered in the middle of the ring. After this, we had the 10-man uh, tag matchup of Honor No More going against Impact Originals. On Impact Originals' side, it was the Motor City Machine Guns, Frankie Kazarian, Nick Aldous, and a surprising return of Davey Richards from MLW um davy richards has a history with honor no more's eddie edwards they came in together in impact as the wolves spanning off from their ring of honor time together as the american wolves and they know each other real well so Eddie Edwards was real shocked to see davy richards on impact original sides going against them and um impact originals would be honor no more Next matchup, the Queen of the Mountain matchup, first ever Queen of the Mountain matchup. Uh, Jordan Grace would become your new Knockouts World Champion uh, when she hung the title above the above the ring, and she was now your new Impact Knockouts Women's Champion. And then your main event, Josh Alexander defeated Eric Young when he hit the C4 spike, C4 pile driver, but people know it as the J-driller on Eric Young on the exposed wood of the ring. And that is your Slammiversary uh, highlights. They played the highlights of Slammiversary at the beginning of Impact. And as once Impact opened up, you saw Honor No More come out. They're upset because at Slammiversary, they feel like they got cheated out of uh, their victory. Uh, Eddie Edwards makes mention of that. He says that they didn't lose, uh, but one person did in the team Lost. It was P.C.O. because he got pinned by Chris Saban because Chris Saban hit P.C.O. with the cradle shot. P.C.O. looks confused by this and Vincent has to step in and says that he understands Eddie's frustration. And he says that he didn't bring P.C.O. for Impact Wrestling. He brought P.C.O. for Honor No More. Vincent mentions the outside forces that helped Impact Originals in their matchup at Summer versa He mentions Tracy Brooks. He mentions Lo Brown and he mentions er- Earl Hebner somehow being the surprise referee towards the end of the matchup Matt Taven would side with Vincent on this Taven would agree and say that it seems that they were set up by impact uh, a head official head guy in charge Scott Demore, because he was out there on commentary Taven would talk about how before impact wrestling had honor no more how they were in a constant mediocrity impact was mediocre But with Honor No More being here and they showing up, they have trended worldwide and they have made this place relevant. Taven would say that people constantly blame him for ROH going out of business. But what people don't know is that he saved Ring of Honor in 2019 and without him, they would have went out of business in 2019. He ends it off by saying that he didn't kill Ring of Honor. He saved Impact Wrestling and then out walks America's Most Wanted. James Jordan would tell Honor Moore that they're out here crying, complaining because they suck. And what they should do is take that loss from Slammiversary, learn from it, and come back better. Kenny King would tell Storm that he has a lot of crap to say for a washed-up, drunk cowboy. And he calls his partner, Chris Harris, a half-dead, half-lame domestic pussycat. Chris would tell Kenny that he needs to watch what he says before he makes him cry harder than he did on The Lorette. For people that don't know, Kenny King was on The Bachelorette in 2017. I had to look that up just to make sure that I was right on the year. But, yeah, Kenny King was on The Bachelorette in 2017. And um, he says that he and James came in to impact TNA to make it better and they made the place better and that they will come in together. And if they have to go out together, they will. AMW makes their way down to the ring and they let Honor Moore know that they made friends at Slammiversary as well, so the Good Brothers decided to come out. The Good Brothers and James Storms would get in the ring, but Honor Moore's numbers would be too much for them and they would start dominating. Taven and Bennett would leave the ring and start walking up to Chris Harris. Chris Harris was outside of the ring because commentary did inform everybody that Chris Harris has taken a lot of injuries in the ring, so he's kind of got sidelined from ever going back into the ring. Also, he made a promise to his wife and kids to never ever get back in the ring that kind of plays into it later in the night as well and as Taven and Bennett would walk up to Chris Harris the Briscoe brothers would walk out uh Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe they would run down to the ring and they would help the Good Brothers and James Storm take out Honor No More they would eliminate everybody out of the ring except for Vincent and Vincent would eat a last call super kick then a magic killer from the Good Brothers and and then you will see Vincent roll out of the ring to go with the rest of his brethren from Honor No More, and they would walk to the back. Honor No More will find Scott DeMore and ask him what he's going to do about what just happened. Scott tells him, tells them that at Against All Odds, which is July the 1st. Uh, Anna Namor will be going against the Good Brothers, the Briscoes, and James Storm in a 10 man tag since they said that they didn't lose at Slammiversary to the Impact Originals. And in the main event of Impact tonight, it will be a six man tag. Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett going against the Briscoes and James Storm. So that's that for that situation. After this, we have a one on one matchup of Chelsea Green, who had Deanna Prazo in her corner, but she was on commentary for the match, going against Mia Yim. Mia Yim would win the match by pinfall when Mia was in control of the match and was on the top turnbuckle. Uh, Deanna prazo would leave the commentary table and push Mia off the turnbuckle. The referee doesn't see this because she is looking at Chelsea Green at the time. Mickey James would run down to the ring and tackle Deanna Purrazzo. And then you see Chelsea try to hit Mia Yim with the I'm Prettier, which is basically a I'm Prettier, uh, or better yet, Juice Robinson's uh, Pulp Fiction is a jumping I'm Prettier. And Mia would reverse it and then hit eat defeat, which is basically put her feet on her opponent's uh, jaw and then slamming the jaw on her foot. It's more impactful when you see it. Um, and then she'll pin her for the win. After this, we had a tag matchup of uh, Bupender, Gujir, and Shark Boy going against Johnny Swinger and Zicky Dice. Gujir and Shark Boy would win the match by pinfall when Shark Boy would hit. Swinger with a stunner and Gugier hits Zicky Dice with the Gargoyle Spear, which is a second turnbuckle spear, for the win. After the match, Diener and Joe Doring of Violence by Design would come down to the ring and destroy everyone. After they take everyone out, you would see Diener get a microphone call Josh Alexander down to the ring. Josh would come to the ring and ask Diener what he wanted because Josh was busy getting stretched out and stretching himself out for his match with Diener later in the night. Deaner will ask Josh, what's it like to be in the ring facing your destruction and knowing you can't do anything about it? And what he's referring to is Joe Doring is going to be taking on Josh Alexander at Against All Odds for the Impact World Championship. And Deaner mentions that Joe Doring is going to take that championship from Josh Alexander and bring it home to violence by design. Josh Alexander would ask them, Where is Eric Young? And he says this because this doesn't seem like Eric Young's plan, coming out here and just destroying everybody. And he knows this because nobody has seen Eric Young since his match with Josh Alexander at So he's thinking that this was Deaner and Joe Doring's whole uh, plan by themselves. And then Josh would say that you mentioned the word family, and you mentioned the word home. And family is a strong word, and it seems like your family is getting thinner and thinner because Eric Young is not there. Joe Doring would be the next person to fade and then Deaner you will be all by yourself. Joe Doring would attack Josh Alexander then we have a 2 on 1 situation of Deaner and Joe Doring jumping on Josh Alexander. Security would come down to the ring and separate Josh and Deaner. They would try to manhandle Joe Doring but Joe was too strong and just beat up on any security that touched on him. Deaner and Joe Doring would leave the ring and Deaner would tell Joe that he has this and sends him to the back. So this gets your Josh Alexander-Joe Doring match happening right now. Josh Alexander would win the match by submission when Josh was able to lock in the ankle lock on Diener, and Dina would try to hold out for as long as he can, but he would eventually tap out. So this gives Josh some momentum going into his matchup against Joe Doring at against all odds. After this, we had Sammy Callahan going against Jack Price. Jack Price is one uh, guy that just happens to debut on Impact here. Sammy Callahan would win the match by pinfall when he hits him with a pile driver for the win. After the match, Moose would run down to the ring, hit Sammy with a spear, and then go outside the ring and grab a steel chair. He gets it, starts beating on Sammy with it. Moose would look over to the timekeeper and tell him to move. Moose would then grab Sammy and put Sammy through the timekeeper table with a uranage, which is basically a rock bottom, but he doesn't fall with his opponent. He just throws him down. And that makes Sammy crash and break the table. After this, you will see Sammy talk to Gail Kim, who is an Impact official. And Sammy tells Gail that he wants a match with Moose at Against All Odds. Gail asks Sammy, what's the match that's going to end this thing between you and Moose? And Sammy Callahan tells her that he wants a Raven-Clockwork-Orange matchup. And now, for people that don't know and haven't been keeping up with Impact's history for 20 years... Raven-Clockwork-Orange matchup is basically everything and anything goes. Steel, chair, chains, uh, thumbtacks. It's basically another word for no holes barred and it's almost the same thing like Monster's Ball, but Monster's Ball, you just have your opponents be locked into a room for a whole entire day without no water, no nothing, and then they go out there and just destroy each other. With this, no, you just go out there and just beat the crap out of each other. That's all Raven's uh, Clockwork-Orange after this, it's time for the main event. Uh, six-man tag matchup. Honor The More's Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett with Maria Canellis in their corner going against James Storms and the Briscoes. Before the match happens, you will see the uh, James Storm and the Briscoes walking backstage, and Chris Harris wants to follow them out to the ring. James Storm tells Chris that he can't allow him to do that. Chris says, I need to be out there so you guys will be safe. James tell him, listen, I've been with you through your ups and downs, and I've been with you when you hit rock bottom, and you made a promise to your wife and your kids. I'm not going to have you back out on your promise, and I'm not going to have you uh, go back to your darkest place. Promise me you're going to stay in the back. Chris Harris promised, so that tells you Chris Harris is going to be somewhere more involved at probably, against all odds, or probably next week's episode of Impact. But um, this tells you this has something more going down the line. This isn't a throwaway line here. This is going to impact it more later down the line. Um, The six-man tag match happens. Mike Bennett would win the match for his team by pinfall when Taven and Bennett would hit the Proton Pack, which is a running kick-slash-piggyback stunner on Mark Briscoe for the win. After the match, Honor Moore would attack Storm and the Briscoes. And what I mean by Honor No More, I mean everybody from Honor No More. Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, Kenny King, Vincent, PCO. Everybody will just attack Storm and the Briscoes. Uh, the Good Brothers will come out and try to give the assist to Storm and the Briscoes, but that wouldn't matter. They would get beat up on by all of Honor No More because the numbers game isn't in their advantage. It's in Honor No More's advantage. Matt Taven will go under the ring, pull out steer chair, steel chairs from under the ring, and put them in the ring. They would put Mark Briscoe's leg in one of the steel chairs, and then you would have Taven, Bennett, Edwards, and Vincent each take a smack at Mark's leg with another steel chair, the same way that they did to Rhino and Heath. So this is more or less going to take Mark Briscoe out of the equation, so they're probably going to have to find another guy to replace Mark Briscoe at Against All Lots. So Impact Wrestling ends with No more standing on top of everybody, and that is your Impact Wrestling uh, wrestling highlights of the week. Now, on uh, to SmackDown. Drew McIntyre will come out for an in-ring promo. Drew would talk about, since he's joined SmackDown, Roman has been ducking him, and that the only way for him to face Roman is to be Mr. Money in the Bank. Drew would talk about how, last week, Brock Lesnar just came into SmackDown and strolling on into a main event picture matchup with Roman Reigns at SummerSlam for the Undisputed Championship. Drew does let Roman and Brock know that he will be watching their match Extra closely because whoever wins that match will get cashed in on. It. Sheamus then will come out with his boys Ridge and Butch. And Sheamus would be the one to let Drew know that he isn't going to be the one to cash in the Money in the Bank on either man because he mentioned that he isn't going to win that matchup. And the only reason why he's in the Money in the Bank match is because Adam Pierce felt sorry for him. Sheamus would have to retell Drew that Drew McIntyre has been cashed in on while Sheamus on the other hand he's won Mr. Money in the Bank and he's cashed in in the past and the person that he cashed in on was Roman Reigns and he plans on doing it again. Then out walks Paul Heyman and following right behind him is Adam Pierce. Paul will talk about how Roman and Brock are going to have a last man standing match at SummerSlam and Paul mentions that Roman is going to win said match and that After he beats Brock, he will be in a votable position for someone to cash in on him, and Paul is out here to make sure that doesn't happen again. And that's where Paul says that Adam Pearce has an important announcement to make. Pearce's announcement would be that he hastily put both Drew and Sheamus in the Money in the Bank matchup, even though they both lost their match and they did not win their singles matchup with each other. So, with some persuasion from Paul Heyman, basically some reinforcement, uh, Paul will let Drew and Sheamus know that they are not in the Money in the Bank matchup. But, they could be in the Money in the Bank matchup if they get get their petty differences aside for this one night tonight and that they can beat the Usos in the main event. So, we would get that match later on. Out of this, we would get a Money in the Bank qualified matchup. Sami Zayn going against Shinsuke Nakamura. Sammy wouldn't win the match by pinfall, but Nakamura could have won the match by countout when Sami and Nakamura went outside of the ring and Nakamura hit Sammy with a kinshasa, which is a running knee to the face. And Sami Zayn was knocked out. Nakamura didn't want to win by countout, so he went back outside the ring, grabbed Sammy, and threw him inside of the ring. And once Sammy got through inside the ring, Nakamura would slide himself in the ring and he was next to the corner, Sami Zayn would run over and hit the Huluva kick on Nakamura, then cover Nakamura to win the match. So, Sami Zayn is now included in the Money in the Bank contract matchup. After this, we were supposed to get New Day versus Jinder Mahal and Shanky, but that doesn't happen. The New Day would get a microphone and says that nobody wants to see this rematch because it makes no sense, and that the New Day aren't into rematches. So, instead, they said that Jinder Mahal last week robbed everybody of seeing the dancing Shanky. So, Xavier Woods would play his trombone and Shanky would start dancing. Shanky would dance, Kofi would dance, and now you have the fans chanting for Shanky. Jinder Mahal always playing the guy that he is. He doesn't like Shanky dancing. He wants Shanky to be serious. He stops Shanky from dancing and he starts yelling at him. Shanky would push Jinder and Jinder would take offense to this, leave the ring, and start walking up the ramp. And as he's doing this, the New Day would dance with Shanky in the middle of the rain, the New Day's music would hit, and then a horn out of nowhere would just play. So this stops Shanky and the New Day in the middle of the rain. They look around to figure out where that horn sound came from, and then it will play again. They'll still look around, and then they'll look at the Titantron, and on the, the Titantron, you'll see a picture of the Viking Raiders, and the Viking Raiders has a new look. And You just see them looking at it, and then the Viking Raiders' pyro will pop. So now the New Day and Shanky are looking for the Viking Raiders to come out, but the Viking Raiders would sneak attack the New Day and Shanky from behind when they sneak in the ring behind them. The Viking Raiders would decimate the New Day and Shanky. I mean, they get... One shot off on Shanky, Shanky rolls out of the ring. So the Viking Raiders majority put a beat down on the New Day, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. And I understand why they did this, because the Viking Raiders needed to be repackaged up as menacing guys instead of these playful, loving Vikings that they were uh, in 2020, 2021, and even early 2022. They needed to be repackaged. They needed to be uh they needed to be built up again and being brought back as a much more aggressive side of a Viking, and I'm happy with it, and the reason why I'm happy that the New Day were the guys to do it, the New Day can get everybody over. If you're in a storyline with the New Day, you guys are going to come out looking better than you guys did when you guys came in. You guys can always expect that. With a New Day matchup or a New Day storyline, you're at least going to get... Some entertaining storyline, entertaining weeks of matches and stories coming out of it. I think the only people that probably didn't do so well was actually uh, Ridge Holland and Pete Dunne or Butch or Sheamus. So, however you want to call those three-man group, uh, this is the only people that I don't think came out good because Big E got injured in that whole story. So, out of that, throughout the whole New Day's category, uh, this is the one I can say that they didn't do right. But everybody else, I think everybody else came out better on the opposite end. And also, the Viking Raiders are going to make the New Day just basically be their uh, tossing beanbags. The Viking Raiders are going to toss around Xavier and Kofi. So that's what I see going into the Viking Raiders' uh, situation, this new rebirth of them being this menacing, aggressive Vikings. And I'm cool with it. After this, we would get Sonya Deville walking into Adam Pierce's office, and Sonya starts scolding Adam for not being on the SmackDown show for a couple weeks, saying that she's been on SmackDown for the past few weeks, and that Adam Pierce hasn't uh, paid her any attention, and that she hasn't been in no money to make qualifying matches. While Raquel Gonzalez, she's been on SmackDown for a couple weeks, she's automatically in a money to make qualifying match. And Lacey Evans, who was out for a year, she's in a moneyman qualifying matchup. And Sonya Deville takes a lot of anger out on Pierce to the point that she starts calling him an idiot and he's not uh, capable of his job. And even says that he's jealous of Sonya Deville's career while his career was basically a failure. So Pierce will let Sonya Deville know that she does have a matchup next, and it's against Raquel Gonzalez. And Lacey Evans is in a handicap. So it's time for that matchup. You see Raquel and Lacey already in the ring. Sonya Deville comes out, but she does not come out alone. She has Zia Lee and Shayna Baszler with her by her side in her corner. Zia Lee and Shayna Baszler were the women that lost to Raquel and Lacey for them to get in the Money to Bank matchup. So that gives the women motive to be with Sonya Deville for this matchup. So we get the handicap match. Raquel and Lacey would win the match by pinfall when Raquel would throw Sonia Deville into Lacey's women's right, which is a right hand, and Lacey would punch, uh, Sonia Deville directly in the jaw, cover her for the win. But during the matchup, you saw zylie and Shayna Baszler just like distract, uh, Raquel and Lacey from time to time, uh, just to try to give Sonia Deville at least an advantage, and it did for a brief second, but ultimately Raquel and Lacey would eventually end up winning. After the match, Xia Lee and Shayna Baszler would get in the ring and attack Raquel and Lacey. However, Lacey and Raquel will overcome both of the ladies and eliminate them. And then you would see all three ladies, Xia Li, Shayna, and Sonya Deville start walking up the ramp. And Raquel and Lacey would stand, uh, stand in the ring by themselves looking up at the briefcases in the middle of the ring. Out of this, we had Natalia coming out for her in-ring promo, but Natalia came dressed out like Ronda Rousey and she was pushing an empty baby stroller. Natty would act like she's Ronda. She would say that after being in the sharpshooter last week, she knows two things. That the sharpshooter is superior than the armbar and that she doesn't stand a chance against Natalia at Money in the Bank. She would continue to act like Ronda until the real Ronda Rousey would come out. Ronda would make a comment on Natty's looks, saying that she didn't no, that was Natty, unless her uh boobs are out, and that Natty has and this is her words, not mine, mutilated her body to accomplish unbelievable beauty standards. It's the exact same thing that all the women in the past have said about going to WWE. They feel it, like they got to uh look a certain way to get pushed, so that's what Ronda Rousey's talking about here. Like, you got to get your nose done, your boobs done to at least get attention in the WWE landscape. So, that's what Ronda Rousey is. Uh making note of here, Rhonda would tell Natty that just because you're a heart, you don't deserve everything. You might have been in this business longer than anybody and you think you should be a main attraction, but the only time you are a main attraction is when you're dressing like me. Rhonda would grab Natty's jacket and take it from her. Natty would hit Rhonda with a baby stroller then leave the ring. So this is still building something for Ronda and Natty's matchup at Money in the Bank next week. Uh, I was cool with this. I mean, it is what it is. I understand what they're trying to go for here, but uh, I was cool. After this, we have the Intercontinental Championship matchup. Ricochet going against Gunther, who had Ludwig Kaiser in his corner. This is Ricochet's rematch clause for the Intercontinental Championship. Gunther would win the match by pinfall when Gunther would drop Kate Ricochet in the chest. Then powerbomb him for the win. Gunther is going to be a dominant Intercontinental Champion. I wonder who they're going to have. Gunther lose the Intercontinental Championship to. That's going to be a real interesting thing whenever that time comes around. After this, we will have another Money in the Bank qualifying matchup. And this time it's Tamina going against Shotzi. Shotzi would win the match by pinfall. Shotzi would hit the Never Wake Up, which is a hooked leg DDT for the win so now Shotzi is now in the women's money in the bank qualifying well money in the bank matchup so right now as it stands in the women's money in the bank it is Shotzi Raquel Gonzalez uh Oscar, Lacey Evans Alexa Bliss Liv Morgan and we still have one more mystery uh participant to be going in more or less to probably fill that out on Monday Night Raw After this, we would have Pat McAvee. He would stand on the commentary table, and he would talk about Happy Corbin, or in Pat's words, Bumass Corbin. Pat makes mention how last week, Corbin told him that if he continued to talk about him the way that he does, he would make him wish he was dead. Pat would say that would never happen because he loves every minute of his life. He talks about when he first stepped into the Thunderdome in 2020, and he said that he felt so alive, well, 2021-ish. He said that he felt so alive, he loves putting on the headset and talking into the mic to the millions, and the people would say, and millions, and he would give shoutouts to The Rock for that, of people at home, and then Pat would then throw out the challenge to Corbin for a match at SummerSlam. So, this will be Pat's, like, second matchup on the WWE, like, main roster, technically they'll say three, because he had two matches at WrestleMania, one against Theory and one against Mr. McMahon, but... Uh, so this will be his third main event, match not main event, but main roster matchup. And all together, I think this will be his fifth matchup altogether in WWE and Pat McAfee. I think he's going to have a good match with Corbin. We never got in response from Corbin. We're we'll probably getting next week. So that's something to expect for next week's SmackDown. Now it's time for the main event of oh, SmackDown, the tag team matchup. Drew McIntyre and Sheamus, who had Butch and Ridge Holland in his corner going against the Usos. And remember, the condition was, if Drew and Sheamus win, they are added into the Money in the Bank contract matchup. Uh, The Street Profits would be on commentary for this matchup, and Drew and Sheamus would win the match by pinfall. When, towards the end of the match, Butch would get on the ring apron and distract the referee, and while this happens, you see Ridge grab Butch down and start walking up the ramp with Butch in tow. Uh, Sammy Zayn would pop out from the crowd and run towards Drew McIntyre looking to hit him with a Huluva kick on the outside of the ring, but Angelo Dawkins would hit Sammy with a shoulder block. Then you would see the Usos and the Street Profits start locking eyes with each other and start moving close to one another. And then you see Drew McIntyre jump out of the ring and hit both teams with a top cun hilo and knock both teams out. Sheamus would then hit Jay Uso with a bro kick, And then you see Drew and Jimmy Uso get back in the ring, and Drew will hit Jimmy with a Claymore kick, pin him for the win. So Drew McIntyre and Sheamus are now included into the men's uh, Money in the Bank contract. So right now, as the playing field stands, it is Seth Rollins, Sheamus, Drew McIntyre, Omos, Sami Zayn, and still two more people to make up for the Money in the Bank ladder matchup. And all the participants in the Money in the Bank matchups... Both men and women will be on SmackDown next Friday. So that's something to look forward to. They did announce that. And with that, that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now, on to AEW Rampage. Before I get into everything, uh, we will get a video during Rampage of Tully Blanchard Enterprises, and he announces who's in his stable. It's a man named Khan who, if you were watching Ring of Honor in twenty 20, 2021, and even early versions of 2022 when they showed highlight videos. Khan was a part of a group called Shane Taylor Promotions. It was Shane Taylor, Khan, and Moses there, the longest reigning Ring of Honor six-man tag team champions. So he has some qualifications there. A guy named Toa Leona. I don't know who this guy is. So this guy is brand new to me. And he now has Brian Cage as well. So this is Tolly Blanchard's three-man group. And you will see uh, Jonathan Gresham and Lee Moriarty backstage. And Lee Moriarty talks about how many wins he's gotten so far. And he wants to cash it in to have a Ring of Honor World Championship matchup with Jonathan Gresham. Tully Blanchard will walk up and disturb both of those both men's conversation. And he would say that my men have been racking up more wins than this guy and they deserve a world championship matchup. So Lee Moriarty and Jonathan Gresham eventually make a challenge to Tully Blanchard. Saying that why don't Jonathan Gresham and Lee Moriarty team up together against go your guys. Tully Blanchard and Jonathan Gresham will shake hands so we're going to get that match. It wasn't tonight but it's going to happen somewhere down the line. Now onto the results of Rampage. Uh, it was Ray Phoenix with Alex Abrahantiz in his corner going against Andrade, who had his handler, Jose, in his corner. Andrade would win the match by pinfall thanks from an assist from Jose and the debuting Rouge. When Andrade and Phoenix were outside of the ring, Jose would get in the ring and Alex Abrahantiz would get in the ring and they would start pushing each other. So the referee has to deal with both of those guys in the ring. You will see Rouge start walking down to the ring, and he would pick up Phoenix and kick him right in the huevos, or better known as balls in English, and Roosh would then throw Phoenix back in the ring. Andrade would then hit Phoenix with El Idolo, which is a hammerlock DDT, then cover him for the win. After the match, you would see Roosh and Andrade unveil new t-shirts, and they read Le La Faction In Ingonable, which means the Ungovernable Faction. This is basically a remake of their Los Nabale's name from their days in CMLL before Andrade left to go to WWE. So they're rebuilding back that stable. Also, that was the exact same stable name that Roosh had with himself, uh, Dragon Lee, his father, and Kenny King when they were in Ring of Honor in 2021. And also, yeah, 2021, because again, early 2022, they had uh, videos of... Uh, past episodes of Ring of Honor, so 2021. Anyway, Roosh will go over to the body of Phoenix, Unmasked Phoenix, and then you see Penta run down to the ring with a shovel, and this would scare off Lo Faction Igor and have them leave the ring. So this tells me that the Lucha Brothers are going to be dealing with Lo faction and and again, I think we're going to get Dragon Lee coming into uh, AEW to join his brother Roosh and his partner Andrade to form the whole complete unit of Le Faction Ingo After this, we had a tag team matchup of Serena D teaming up with the Ring of Honor Women's Champion, Mercedes Martinez, going against uh, Lady Luck and Serena. Uh, Mercedes would win the match by submission when Mercedes will lock in the Brass City Sleeper, which is basically a Romero special transition into a Dragon Sleeper on Lady Luck. And she would tap out and while she was doing this, you would see Serena Deed lock in the Serena Lock, Serenity Lock on Serena and uh, make her tap out at the exact same time that Mercedes made Luck tap out. So Mercedes and Serena Deed are having this little thing of what you can do, I can do better. This one Upsman womanship that they're doing. So that's the story that we're getting between these two ladies. After this, we had Hook going against the DKC. This is a guy from New Japan's uh, LA Dojo, which is basically their uh, performance center for New Japan and America. Hook would win the match by submission when he locks in the red rum on the DKC. No more need to be said for that. After this, it's time for the main event of Rampage. Jeff Cobb, who is one half of the IWGP World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, going against Cash Wheeler, who's one half of the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships, Champions as well as the AAA Tag Team Champions with his partner FTR. Uh, Jeff Cobb would win the match by pinfall when Cobb would hit the Tour of the Island, which is basically a spinning full slam or full body slam on Cash Wheeler for the win. Great match between these two. It was a good match. Jeff Cobb, he does well, but he's kind of banged up in the leg a little bit. And Cash Wheeler, he already said that he doesn't do too many singles matches. So for him to not do too many singles matches, he had a good match with Jeff Cobb here. Uh, after the match, the great O'Conn, who is Jeff Cobb's tag partner, who was also one half of the IWGP World Tag Team Champion, will come down and make his way to the ring. And then you see Dax run down and attack O'Conn from behind. So as Dax is beating on O'Conn. You would see the rest of the United Empire, which is Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open, run down to the ring and start beating up on Dax. And this would continue to happen until Orange Cassidy and Rapungi Vice run down to the ring. So now you got chaos all around this ring. You got United Empire fighting Rapungi Vice and FTR. Then you would see Eddie Kingston go over to the commentary table and start attacking Chris Jericho. So now you got Eddie Kingston... And Chris Jericho brawling up the stage, down the stage, into the crowd. And you got chaos all around the ring side area. And that's how Rampage will go off with nothing but a big old brawl occurring. So this is getting people ready for uh, Forbidden Door, which is happening Sunday tomorrow. Now, with that being said, let me give you my Forbidden Door predictions and who I think is going to win the matches. Um, first match of the night is. Bullet Club, which is El Phantasmo Hikaleo, and for one night only, the Young Bucks, teaming up, going against Dudes with Attitude, Darby Allen, Sting, and Logos Igor Novelis de Japón members, Shingo and Hiromu Takahashi. I think Darby and Sting and Shingo and uh, Hiromu Takahashi are going to win this. Sting and Darby, they need a win because Sting is a legend in the the wrestling uh, world. And I don't remember the last time he's lost a match in AEW, per se. I don't remember it. might probably do. But right now, for me, I don't remember it. And also, this is Sting coming back. And this is him just being, just being able to get in the ring with some of these uh, young talent. I think the young talent is going to be grateful to be in the ring with Sting. And I think that they're just going to allow Sting to win, like, creatively. So I see dudes with attitude uh, winning this matchup. Zack Sabre Jr. going against a mystery opponent that Brian Danielson picked out. There has been speculation, people thought it was Johnny Gargano, Johnny Gargano said he was not going to be at Forbidden Door and the most heavily requested one is Cesaro or formerly known as Claudio Castagnoli on his independent name. I'm going with that one, if I'm going to be honest because Brian Danielson said that he has history with this guy and if it's not going to be uh Johnny Gargano, I'd rather it be Claudio Castagnoli, or better known as Cesaro in WWE, because he's been out of the wrestling uh, world for a, a good couple months now, and people have been clamoring for him to come back. And this would be a good time. Why not? He gets to join uh, Brian Danielson and join John Moxley and join William Regal. He has history with Regal, so it makes sense for him to join the Blackpool Combat Club. And also, if you don't remember, Brian Danielson did say that he came out of the Bad Guy Tunnel, so. I think that he's going to have somebody to piss off Eddie Kingston because during his talk on Dynamite, he did say that Eddie Kingston called him a prick and he embellishes in that and says, yeah, I'm a prick. So I think Brian Danson is going to do something to piss off Eddie Kingston and have Claudio be the guy to team up with Eddie Kingston. And for people that have not paid attention to the independence uh, circuit in the early 2000s, Claudio Castagnoli used to team up with a guy named Chris Hero. Chris Hero and Eddie Kingston used to be boys until something happened on the Independence, and then you had this big feud of Eddie Kingston and uh, Chris Hero. Claudio Castagnoli happened to be siding with Chris Hero on this, so if you're friends with Chris Hero, you happen to be an enemy of Eddie Kingston, and this carried on on the Independence and into Chikara, which is another Independence show. Long story, less long. I think that this is going to go into AEW. I think that Claudio is going to have a beef with Eddie Kingston because he's got to team up with Kingston at uh, Blood & Guts, this upcoming Dynamite. So I think that's going to play a part in that. So for me, I think it's going to be Claudio or Cesaro, whatever he wants to go by, going against Zack Sabre Jr. And if that's the case, I think that Claudio is going to win against Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, The AEW Women's World Championship matchup. Thunder Rosa going against Tony Storm. Thunder Rose is winning this. It's not her time to lose the belt yet. She just technically got it. We need to see her more on television. And I think that her and Tony is going to have a good match. Triple Threat, winner take all. Ring of Honor, World Tag Team Title, and IWGP Tag Team Championship. FTR going against United Empire, going against Rapogi Vice. You know what? I think FTR is going to do it because I think FTR is going to uh, be in America for some time. And then they'll drift over into New Japan whenever uh, New Japan calls for them and whenever uh, they are not doing something in uh, AEW. And with FTR going to Japan, they can elevate some of the people over there in Japan, and also they can get the Japan work uh, experience. And personally, I think FTR is going to enjoy it, and I think it's going to help the brand of AEW over there in Japan. So I think FTR. Will Ospreay going against Orange Cassie for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. I say Will Ospreay, again, he just won it. I don't think they're going to have Ospreay lose the belt to Arch Cassidy. I think this is going to be one of the best matches of the night, knowing both men. And I think we're going to see, I think the American fans, if you're not familiar with Will Ospreay, you're going to get a good taste of what Will Ospreay is. Uh, six-man tag matchup with the winning team get the advantage going into Blood and Guts. Uh, Sammy uh, Guevara, Chris Jericho, and Minoru Suzuki going against Eddie Kingston, Will Yuta, Shota Umino. I think that Eddie Kingston, Yuta, and Shota Umino is going to win the match because I think Minoru Suzuki is going to get tired of Chris Jericho and Sammy, and I think he's going to completely just batter, I think, more or less, Sammy Guevara because Sammy Guevara has a punchable face, and I think Minoru is going to punch him directly in his face. So if I was them, I would go with that one. Um, The Fatal Four with All Elite, All Atlantic Championship. Pac going against Miro, going against Malachi Black, going against Clark Connors. Clark Connors has to replace Tomohiro Ishii because he got injured. I think Pac is going to win this. He needs to hold a championship in AEW. He should have held at least the TNT title by now. But I think this is going to be the perfect title for Pac to hold. So I'm going with Pac. Fatal 4-Way matchup. IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Jay White going against Okada, going against Heyman Page, going against Adam Cole. Jay White. Jay White just won the championship. I don't think they're going to have him lose the belt back to Okada. Okada is supposed to be chilling out home soon after he gets done with the uh, G1 Climax. that's happening in July and ending in August. I think Jay White's is going to hold on to the belt here. And uh, that's just what I got to say for that. And then the main event for the interim AEW World Championship, John Moxley versus uh, Tanahashi. And we really want to get frisky with this. I would say Tanahashi, and just to see what the AEW fans are going to do if the AEW World Championship were to be strapped on to a New Japan guy, and that title would not be seen around, and this would be the second time, literally within weeks, that your world champion isn't going to be around on your television, but that's just wishful thinking, but knowledgeable and realistic thinking, John Moxley's beating Tanahashi. But, boy, oh, boy, would it be fun just to see how the AEW fans are going to act if Tanahashi were to beat Jon Moxley. That should be a fun thinking thought. But, for me, I'm picking Jon Moxley. And that is my forbidden door predictions. Now, with that being said, I hope you guys had a good, uh, hope you guys have a good Saturday. I hope you guys are well. I hope you guys are driving wherever you guys got to go to. I hope you guys, please, uh, just be safe. Please be nice to one another because you don't know what people are dealing with. And I just want you guys to please be safe and get back to your home or wherever you lay your heads at safe and soundly. Hope you guys have a great Saturday. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by my Two Cents podcast. I will be doing a Forbidden Door uh, review on Monday. I just want to give you guys a heads up on that. And I do have a podcast Sunday. I do talk about things that happen in the current event, current events uh situation so i'm more or less going to be talking about roe v wade and some other stuff but hey you can check that out sunday if you're into that and if not check out forbidden door uh, review on monday and then come back next saturday for wrestling highlights and with that i love you all i thank you and kanye can you please take these people home i'm tired you tired uh-huh. jesus yeah, wept